0: Welcome to the All Things Protest Podcast, presented by Kroll and Mooring. I'm Olivia Lynch, and with me today are my co host, Christian Curran, and a guest, John Baker, who is a partner in Kroll's Government Contracts Group. This month, we're discussing the Court of Federal Claims' recent dismissal of a bid protest challenging the evaluation and award of prototype OTAs. On August 28, 2019, in a case of first impression, the court dismissed, for lack of subject matter jurisdiction, space exploration technologies. Challenge to the awards of launch services agreements issued under DOD's Prototype Other Transaction Authority. So, John, what was this case about, and how did the protester try to persuade the court that COFSI had jurisdiction?
1: Thanks, Olivia. Yeah, so this case involved an Air Force competition for a launch service agreement. It issued a launch services agreement RFP under the OT authority under 10 USC 2371B for prototypes. Now, as the court noted, prototype OTs are not procurement contracts. They're not grants. They're not cooperative agreements. And so generally, they're not subject to the same rules that you would see in a FAR-based contract. This particular competition was interesting. In fact, it contemplated a couple of different phases. So the protested phase, again, involved the prototype OT, but there was a second phase. The phase two was also contemplated. And phase two Involved the award or potential award of what was called a follow on activity or follow on requirements contract for launch services. So, again, the first phase involved the award of launch services agreements for the development of these prototype launch capabilities. And phase two involved a follow on requirements contract for launch services. Now, phase two was interesting because it not only allowed the awardees of the LSA prototypes to compete, but it also contemplated that phase two would be open to all interested offerors. So here, the protester did not win a prototype OT under the Launch Services Agreement RFP and filed a protest with the Court of Federal Claims challenging the agency's evaluation and awards. It went to the Court of Federal Claims, presumably because it's very difficult to protest OTs at the GAO. And at the court, the protester invoked Tucker Act jurisdiction and argued that it was an interested party objecting to a proposed contract or to a proposed award or the award of a contract or any violation of a statute of regulation, importantly, in connection with a procurement or a proposed procurement. So all parties here seem to agree that the LSA competition for the prototype OT was not a procurement for purposes of Tucker Act jurisdiction. So the protester argued that because the acquisition Contemplated a phase two follow on requirements contract, the prototype OT award was in connection with a procurement. The court disagreed and it found that while the so called follow on contract might be a procurement, the challenged LSA prototype OT awards were not in connection with that phase two
2: procurement. That's interesting, John. So the court called the determination of whether the protest was in connection with a procurement a close call. So it seems that the protester's strategy, while unsuccessful, was not unpersuasive. What were some of the factors that ultimately led the court to decide that it wasn't in connection with the procurement?
1: Sure, Christian, and I agree with you that the court thought it was a close call. Here are the competitions, and when I'm referring to competitions, I'm referring to the LSA RFP on the one hand and the phase two procurement on the other. Here, the competitions, or at least the court found important that the competitions involved two different solicitations. They involved two different acquisition strategies. So for the prototype OT, it involved and invoked the OT authority given to the Department of Defense, whereas on the second, for the phase two contract, there was a FAR-based competition that was contemplated. So you had, in both of those competitions, you had different competition requirements and different solicitation requirements due to the Differing acquisition strategies. Third, the court found that there were different goals between the two competitions. Under the prototype OT, the LSA would increase the number of potential launch vehicles. That was the goal. But under the phase two procurement, it actually sought to procure services, launch services in particular. So, again, different goals. And then finally, the court said well, look, the LSA did not involve the procurement of goods or services, and the Air Force did not purchase or own the prototypes. Under the LSA. And so, there again, the LSA was not a procurement. And so, for those reasons, the court found that the awards of the LSA prototype OTs were not in connection with the procurement.
0: So, as you mentioned earlier, the parties all seem to recognize that the court wouldn't have had jurisdiction over an OT standing alone. But in a footnote, the court took steps to clarify that its decision was limited to the facts of this specific case. Why do you think the court included that footnote? What factors would have to change for the court to take jurisdiction over a simpler OT?
1: Yeah, I think those are good questions, Olivia. I'm not entirely sure. When you look at the particular rules governing the phase two procurement that was at issue here and the differences between that and the OT, you could see a scenario where a phase two procurement might actually be a little more closely tied to the original prototype OT. I mean, you could see a scenario where a prototype OT may, on its own, contemplate the award of a follow-on production contract as is authorized by the authorizing statute for prototype OTs. And in that case, you very well may see a challenge to the original prototype OT that could be deemed to be sufficiently in connection with that follow-on production contract. So I think that's mainly where you might see or why the court might have given itself some room to make a fact-specific decision.
2: So, John, one of your practice areas is OTs, and you work with a lot of companies, counseling them on these new opportunities. What impact do you think this case will have on companies that are pursuing OTs going forward?
1: Yeah, Christian, probably not much impact going forward, though it is a little early to say. This was a case that was brought in the Court of Federal Claims simply because the court dismissed this case does not mean other courts may not have jurisdiction. In fact, the court in this case transferred the case to the district court, and that case is pending there at the district court now. So although the court of federal claims may not have jurisdiction, at least the law with respect to this one particular judge in the court of federal claims, the law is a little more, is more clarified as to whether or not the court of federal claims will have jurisdiction. Now, it might be interesting to see how the district court Case law develops on protests. We haven't seen protests brought in district courts in a long time. And so there may be a new body of case law developing in the federal district courts, specifically with respect to OT protests. So that is yet to be seen.
2: Great. Well, we'll definitely keep our eye out for that. Thanks for joining us today, John. That concludes our discussion for today. The court's decision will be posted on our website along with this podcast. And if you have any questions on this topic, or are facing some of these issues yourself, don't hesitate to call. And as always, thanks for listening.
0: The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash allthingsprotest.